The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife. Save the environment. Save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Welcome back to Our Wild World. Today, we're coming to you live from Rollins, Wyoming. So, once again, I'm sorry to say I'll be unable to accept email questions today, but you can certainly call in, and we'll be providing that number um, at our first break. So, do a, I'd like to do a little bit of a recap. Last week, our show came live from the Jackson Hole, Wyoming Wildlife Film Festival. It's the premier festival of its genre, representing blue chip filmmakers, distributors, and networks from around the world. The panels, symposia, and outstanding films and keynote speakers sought to reconnect the public programming to the threads and messaging between international media broadcasting of natural history and our world's wild world's wonders back to the reality of our world's conservation needs and the challenges and crises we are facing. This united voice spoke loud and clear to the international broadcasting and funding community through programming and uh, symposia to help change the tide to create better awareness of the wildlife issues and curb the growing global threats and appetites for trade in wildlife, both dead and alive. In that light, I am extremely proud to announce that our short film, The Elephant in the Room, received this very prestigious award for Best in Short Shorts. The Elephant in the Room is a two-minute PSA public service announcement targeting the Asian market's ever-growing demand and thirst for ivory and its direct connection to the dramatic increase and the decline in elephant numbers, poaching and population decimation across all of its rain states and Africa and in Asia. You can view the short film on YouTube, our website at www.wildeyes.org and the link provided right here on our Voice America homepage. Last week, we had several guests on the show live from the festival, and I'm happy to announce that over the coming weeks, we'll be bringing you many, many voices, both outspoken activists to gentle conservationists and just folks like you and me and our guests today who are interested in our wild world, our relationship with animals and wildlife, and the global wildlife issues we are all facing. 
So today, we're going to segue into a subject that was not covered at the film festival, but yet a subject that is gaining more and more attention in today's world. A critical subject if we humans want to renew and recreate our relationship to the non-human animals that we live with, and in many cases, those animals who are our closest companions outside of our human family ties. And today we'll discuss how the human-animal bond can heal not only us, but turn the tide for the future for all non-human beings who share this earth with us. With that, I would like to welcome Dale Priest Kelly, the founder and the amazing man of Critterish All Sorts. You can learn more about Dale through his website at www.critterishallsorts, all one word, dot co dot uk. Dale was a guest previously on our Our Wild World, and we spoke of his work and his therapeutic uh, wild therapy uh, with his amazing assortment of animals, which he'll tell us a bit more about today. And we spoke of the holistic, emotional, and well-researched scientific benefits that having therapeutic relationships with an animal, many kinds of animals, changes lives, both for the animal and the people they spend time with. When this amazing bond between human and non-human earthling beings is allowed to be nourished and flourish. It's been said that Dale is more than just an animal guy, and we'll we'll find out more about why. So welcome, Dale. It's wonderful to have you back. Thanks, Ellie, and congratulations on your award. Thank you so much. It is a wonderful film. Um, I've watched it. A number of times now. Um, well, thank you great. so much. Be sure to share it. Everyone listening, oh, be sure to share it. <laughs> it's, it's an important message. But let's, that's enough about uh, me and Wild Eyes and our film today. Let's talk about you. Recently, uh, you shared with me some of your thoughts about new pathways you've become involved in, about the human-animal relationship, and how it has changed over the past 100 years or so since industrialization. Would you care to expand on this a little bit with our audience? Well, um, I, I did, um, I was, I've been working a lot with, uh, with guys um, in, in terms of, of pet therapy in psychiatric hospitals, and I wanted to expand that because obviously I've seen the human-animal bond um, work with, uh, with people, and I've got a real good feel for it. Um, so I decided to get myself qualified um, in animal-assisted therapy and therapy uh, in counselling and um, became um, a qualified animal-assisted therapy practitioner and counsellor, which then led me to launch a business alongside Critterish, all sorts called Critter-Assisted Therapy, uh, with a view to proving um, the healing power of animals um, to a wider audience, especially um, governments and um, the the nationalised health industries that won't accept it as as a form of treatment because they don't believe in it. So my my remit at the moment is to prove um, the, the effect that animals have on human beings, basically. Well, you just brought up an interesting concept that I deal with a lot in terms of the issues that Wild Eyes faces as working on climate change, losses of habitats, ecosystem destruction, and, um, you know, loss of wildlife populations. You said an interesting word that governments and the traditional healthcare systems do not 
quote-unquote, believe in this. Well, we do a lot of work, and I understand we need to prove this, but, you know, belief systems apply more to religious aspects. It's something that deals with more of a philosophy and a personal opinion where facts define uh, reality. So... From what I understand, through the therapy that you work with with animals and other people that work with animals, I could name many, many, and we've all seen them on TV, uh, hosts and characters that have a special relationship and ability to communicate with animals. I don't think this is a system of belief. I think it is hard work and a hard road ahead to um, shift this paradigm so that governments and traditional outlets accept uh, the, the facts that you've, you've come across that you can prove. What does it take on your end to become a certified animal-assisted therapy? What are the hoops and, and rigmarole that you have to go through to, to, to do that? It was, um, it was more a case of me taking the time to do um, a study, a study and to do a course uh, to, to, to gain the qualification, so studying um, the history of animism, uh, which is like the, the ancient um, art, uh, the, the ancient religion that the people used to believe that animals had souls. That's you know that started thousands of years ago. Um, that the tribes people believed that animals had souls, and they worshipped the animals because um, they felt that the souls uh, brought them luck um, and brought them. Um, uh, magnificent um, riches and, 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 and such like um, right the way up to the modern day of um, animal assisted therapy and where it began um, so once I'd studied that and, and, and uh, done all my assignments and, and done a, a final exam um, I, I became qualified in, um, in, in therapy and in because you, you also learn about what you have to do with the animals uh, in terms of um, not training them so much as assessing their um, suitability uh, to be used in that kind of forum because obviously it takes a special kind of animal to, to do that kind of work. That's, a, that's another interesting point in terms of pet therapy. We've all, at least here in the U.S., and I'm pretty sure in the U.K., we've seen, um, well, I guess a really good example is dogs for the blind and the amazing tasks that they can perform and uh, for the deaf or the other uh, handicapped or uh, challenged people who use animals, this is well proven. Um, So in terms of finding animals and uh, not training them, as you said, but assessing their qualities and their personal characteristics to um, to be able to handle working with troubled people. From what I understand, you work with a lot of troubled people. You mentioned um, uh, psychiatric institutions and, uh, uh, and the such. You can, people can learn more about that on our previous show with you. So what, is, what are some of the um, processes that you go through in finding your animals? And how did it come to you that this animal would be a great therapist? Well, um, to start with, I don't choose animals based on whether or not they are going to make um, a good therapy animal I, I get the animal for, um, uh, for for my own companionship more than anything else 
and um, the animal develops into a therapy animal because they begin to trust um, you assess a, a, the character of the animal over a period of time in order to learn whether or not that animal is going to accept the kind of uh, atmospheres and environments that you're going to be taking it into. If then that, that animal does prove that they are going to um, be accepting of those, then um, you can then start to, to, to develop um, some kind of, of, of um, or what do you call it, a, a, a way of, of them just kind of, no. Oh, being a liaison, almost like a mediator between a therapist and the the patient or the client. Yeah, they become a bridge. Yeah. They they become a bridge, and, and they also become used to the fact that, that they're going to go into those kinds of situations. Desensitization was the word I was looking for. Um, we we in smallists first, and 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 you know you may take them in for an hour um, rather than a full day, and gradually kind of. Um, desensitize them to the, the kinds of environments that they're going to be in. You take them into environments such as shopping centres where, where they're, they're going to meet lots and lots of people um, so, so that you can see how they, how they handle um, meeting people, meeting other animals. You might take them for a walk in the park. Um, obviously, this doesn't apply to snakes and lizards, but um, you know the dogs and, and the skunks especially, um, taking them out and having them meet people just to find out whether or not they're, they're, they're character suits um, that kind of work, um, and then you work you work with that and develop them into into uh, what would be a therapy animal. Um, but but we we, uh, we we seem to just get some brilliant animals that, that just <laughs> just just love the work. Uh, we're very lucky. So you're very sensitive. I think this is a critical issue. Um, I'd said earlier in, in introducing you that you are more than just an animal guy. A lot of people love animals, and a lot of people get animals for companions. But um, a big part of the piece that sometimes is missing, and that I think that uh, the world as a whole is engaging more upon raising awareness, is... Fulfilling the animal's needs, fulfilling the needs of your companion. When we are um, in a relationship person to person, we are very clear on um, that we need to fulfill other our companion's needs. So what we're learning and what there is a lot of research and data on and many authors of which I'm happy to name a few and I've mentioned before through our show is the animal side of this equation that um, and you had stated this in one of our communications that how our bond with the animals who serve us and benefit us do not often receive the rewards they're due for a dedicated and unusually unconditional gift of their being. Tell us a little more about, um, since you are so closely involved with a wide variety of ants that are not just cats and dogs and bunnies and the furry things that we typically think of as companion animals. Tell us a little bit about the animal side of this and how your animals, you, you'd said there uh, a minute ago that some of them love the work. Um, tell us about that. Tell us how you can tell that they love the work. I have. Um, I'm very aware of, of my animals uh, and their emotional um, kind of uh, the way that they feel. Um, I'm very aware of their body language, um, uh, and 
because I work with them day in day out, I'm I'm, I'm so close to all of them that that um, I I have this kind of bond with them. And and in any of my work, my animals come before the clients. As bizarre as that may sound, um, I, I reserve the right to at any time withdraw an animal from a session or um, stop a session because the animal's welfare isn't um, is, is is paramount. Um, but um, I, I can tell, for instance, I mean, obviously the, the furry one's the dog. Uh, you can tell when he's enjoying himself. Uh, but the snake, for instance, the snake, you can tell when she's enjoying herself because she just relaxes. Um, and uh, she, she's, if, if you have a snake around someone's neck and the snake's constantly moving or trying to, to, to kind of get somewhere else, you, you can tell that they're not actually enjoying what they're doing. If you have a snake and it's uh, on somebody and it's perfectly still, uh, and it's quite happily just sitting there relaxing and, and, and just taking in its surroundings, flicking its tongue out every now and then, just smelling what's around. And you know that the animal is comfortable in, in its surroundings and that it's actually, you know, it, it's, it's, it's taking it all in and it's, it's, it's taking something from it. And, and that's what's important for me is that the animals get something from it as well as humans. So in your sessions with animals, when you are seeing that an animal is uncomfortable, how do you go about uh, explaining to the people that you're working with that uh, perhaps this is not a good time to be with this animal or how to go about behaving with this animal? How do you explain to people that, as you said, the animal comes first in this relationship, although they're in it for therapy and you're, you're making a bridge on a variety of issues to help heal people? Um, how do you let people know um, to read the animal and to help work with the animal side of the issue and understand the animal's emotions? Um, I, I always find that by relating it to the human aspect of things and the human side of things, then you can actually get people to relate to what the animal is actually feeling and thinking. So, for instance, if, if you can tell an animal's uncomfortable or not happy with what they're doing, and you explain it in human terms and say, well, if, if this was you and someone was doing that to you would you know how would you feel about that um and also if you were in this situation this situation that maybe you, you weren't used to because you're a new animal then um you you know you wouldn't you wouldn't be enjoying yourself so therefore the animal is uncomfortable and therefore um we must um, we, we must respect that and we must take the animal situation maybe for a few minutes until the animal and the person have calmed and then we go back and we try again so when people associate with a particular animal, we talked about this on our last episode, that some people form very strong bonds to a particular one of your therapy animals. Uh, do you delve into why they like the animal, why they think there is, if, why they think there is, uh, or why they relate to that animal, or whether they feel like they they contain or as you'd said before we used to worship animals for a spiritual uh, connection do you find a lot of your uh, clients or patients relate to an animal because they feel that animal is a totem or a power symbol or a even a relaxation symbol for them Absolutely, you find that the patients connect with um, with the animal on on more than a physical level, uh, because I think our connections with animals are more than physical. Our connections with people are both emotional and physical, but with, with an animal, I, th I think it's more emotional than it is physical. Okay, we give them cuddles, we pick them up, uh, we spend time with them, but at the same time, in, in order to communicate with that animal, it has to be an emotional 
type of connection because it's um, it's an emotional communication, if you like. So I can uh, I can imagine that there is a, an, an etiquette and a guidance that orients how the assisted therapy works, as you've you've been explaining, and that um, it, the animal comes first in your personal life and even within this session. So we're going to be heading into a break here shortly. But what I'd like to address a bit more um, is how this therapy works from the perspective of our transference to the animal, such as oftentimes we know of transference between therapist and client or patient. And what happens, does this, does this ever create a problem that becomes a negative experience, that the breaking up is hard to do, so to speak, when the therapy is over, and not so much the effect that it has on the person, but the effect that it has on the animal. Um, so we're going to, I'll, I'll re- reiterate that once we come back from the break, but uh, we're going to get into a little short break right now, and we'll be back with Dale Priest-Kelly and Critterish All Sorts. You can call into the show and ask Dale questions, and you can learn more about his work at www.critterishallsorts.co.uk, and we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back with our special guest, Dale Priest Kelly, uh, with Critterish All Sorts and Wild Therapy, which is animal-assisted therapy. Right before the break, we were talking about this incredible bond between animals and people. Excuse me, animals and people, and especially Dale and his animals. So uh, I had asked a question uh, regarding relationships just before the break, sort of dealing with the breaking up is hard to do. What happens with some of your animals if when they've created strong bonds with the people they are uh, assisting with in therapy? What have you seen your animals go through, and what therapy do you do you give to them to help the animal through what may have been a particularly rough session or missing uh, a person that they've been spending a lot of time with? Um, to be fair, um, we, we, we say more, it's more confusion, um, especially when, when a, a patient has um, got an attachment to an animal and won't let it go. Uh, it's confusion in the animal rather than um, anything else, and, and that is um, that is dealt with with a lot of reassurance and love and 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 and, and attention to the animal, and um, making sure that they know that you're still there and and, and you're you know you're still going to be with, and they're they're going to come back and see this person. We had an incident at a, a care home with uh, an old guy with dementia, and um, I'd taken several animals along, and we'd we'd um, we'd, we'd spoken about beans, and and uh, we'd all we'd all dealt with beans and had had a look and a fuss of beans, and beans was uh, sitting um, quite happily at the end of the row of patients, and um, they were all um, sorry residents, and they were all um, sort of sitting down, and, and beans was sat next to one old guy, and, and this guy just just took a liking to beans, and when it came for us to leave, this guy would not let beans go. He was like, no. Staying here, we'll feed him. We'll look after him, um, and uh, it, it, it took some persuading to get uh, to get the guy to give beans back. Um, but also, it took some reassurance beans for him to realise that it, it was okay. We, we were he was coming back. We weren't leaving him again because beans is a rescue uh, dog. Um, he was abandoned on the streets of uh, of Southern Ireland, um, and. Um, it was it was it was quite heart wrenching to be honest, both both from the perspective of the human, um, from the human empathy point of view, and also from from the animal empathy point of view, where, where you're you're thinking, well, my animal thinks I'm, I'm going to leave him and I'm going to abandon him, and I'm not. And uh, it's uh, it's all about reassurance, love, um, empathy, uh, affection, 
uh, and, and making sure that the animal, you know, un- understands, realizes that you are you are there for them, that they're not on their own, they're not alone, um, or going to be abandoned or anything like that. Well, that brings up a really important um, point and uh, in critical information for those of us who have companion animals, what, whatever kind of companion animal it may be, that reassurance and uh, um, a steadiness of a relationship will always be there. Just like people, animals can suffer separation anxiety, they can suffer depression, they can go through grief, and there's many uh, volumes of work, uh, particularly by an author by the name of Mark Beckoff, who deals with uh, animal emotions and animal uh, morality, and uh, with people, speaking with people like Dale and the work that he's going through to quote-unquote prove uh, scientifically that there are benefits to working with animals. Those of us who have pets, what, uh, what we do is we socialize them. So, Dale, what I'm understanding you say, uh, when taking an animal through a breakup session, so to speak, uh, previously, are you socializing? You're, I'm assuming you're so, you socialize your animals with a lot of people, as you had said before, so that when they do have to leave a particular person that they've become very fond of and who has become very fond of them, that the trauma is lessened a little bit and that you allow them to grieve and work through that period? Yeah, in a way. Um, we, we also, because they meet so many people, uh, it kind of desensitizes them to that kind of, um, that, that kind of feeling as well. Um, they, they've been going back and forth um, to meet the same people for the last two years. Um, and, um, you know, when, when someone old leaves a hospital, gets better, leaves a hospital and, and goes on to their new life, there's somebody new there to not take their place as such, but to interact with. Um, uh, therefore, the, the effects are, are kind of lessened. Um, but, yeah, I mean, um, the, 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 the meeting of lots of people, is, it goes, goes towards kind of digitizing them and, and stopping it being quite um, gravely affecting as uh, it otherwise might be. What is one of the most interesting experiences you've had with, um, I'm going to call it decompressing with an animal, uh, reassuring an animal after a particularly challenging series of sessions or a session with a particularly challenging person? What is, um, can you relate uh, uh, an experience that stands out in your mind? Um, really, I mean... It's 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 dependent on the animal, obviously, but a lot of it is is um, to do with play um, and reassurance for the animal. The animal looks to you for for that guidance. That reassurance. I've, I've had times when I've had to. Um, I mean, normally for, for for safety's sake, beans the dog will will, will sit in the in the boots with a proper dog guard up and everything for, for um, the sake of safety. Um, but there have been times when he's had to travel on the front seat next to me and I've had to constantly stroke him on the way home and, and reassure him. And he, he's, you know, licking my arm while I'm driving and saying, you know, are you still there? Are you still there? Are we okay? So, <clears throat> again, it's all about reassurance of, of, of the animal to the animal's mind, making sure the animal understands that, you know, you're not, uh, you're not just treating them as, as an object. They, they are... 
part of you. And, and Beans is very much part of me, as is Stoosh, my skunk. I mean, she, she will also, uh, at times, uh, sit on the front seat with me and literally out of her carrier, sitting on the front seat, just, just being fussed. And she'll just go to sleep. Just, she just wants that reassurance that you're there, you're next to her. She's got your smell. She's got your, your presence and your, your voice and everything else to reassure that, you, you know, you are there and everything's fine and everything's going to be fine. Um, so you know that you've, it, got, you've got her back. So to speak. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, Absolutely, um, that you're, I can see, you're there for. I can, I can imagine this. I can visualize this with a skunk, but I can't quite visual it with a snake. <laughs> no, snakes, I mean, snakes must um, operate in, in a slightly different way. They, they, um, they don't get very kind of emotional about it, if you know what I mean. Like they are more, it's more, it is emotional, but it's more of a. a a reactionary emotion, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely. They, they, they become kind of um, nervous, if you like, um, and, and they will then react to um, you being there. Uh, but once you've got hold of them and you know you're re- you speak to them soothingly, although they can't hear, you speak to them soothingly, they can feel the vibrations and they know your voice, they know your vibrations. And um, you stroke them and you kiss, I know this sounds weird, you kiss them and you, um, you, know, you make sure that they know that, that they are loved and they are precious to you. Um, and, and it goes a long way to relaxing them and stopping them from feeling nervous. So in a way, you give them therapy by, by sort of being with them. They've just spent however long being with somebody else trying to make them feel better so you're, you're doing exactly the same to them but you're you're being their therapy tool if you like so this gives um a bit of a new definition to the word therapy um a lot of people think it is outside of the norm that you go seek therapy when you're feeling troubled where actually every day especially those of us who live with animals or love animals or volunteer with animals therapy is actually living day to day and seeking to create bonds and relationships with our non-human fellow earthlings Um, where do you think we humans need to head uh, along this paradigm shift and how will we accomplish it on a scale that will reach out to those cultures or individuals who cannot yet accept the thought that animals have rich and emotional complex lives and relationships with other animals like themselves or other species and including Uh, us well I mean uh, yeah I'm here yep um Every um, everyone that, that deals with animals, especially rescue animals, does um, does provide therapy to that animal every day, um, just by being there and spending time and gradually getting them used to the fact that they will be loved and, and they will be accepted. Um, as, as far as as um, telling man or, or getting man to accept that animals share the earth, um, I, I think it's it's. Um, we need to make man see the bigger picture and understand that the earth isn't his. <laughs> belongs to millions of different creatures, not just to man. And and when he understands that and when he accepts that will be the time when, you know, the world will be a much, much better place um, for, for us and for the animals. Well, let's, let's for one little thing, let's remove the word he, and, re, and not because <laughs> it's gender specific, and let's use the word we, because this is about all of us, and as you just said, our relationships with animals. Let's, you, we had talked a little bit previously about the human's initial relationships with animals, uh, 
millennia ago, years ago, and before we shifted to um, a more urban, industrialized relationship with our earth and our wildlife and our companion animals to entertainment accessories. Um, you would, you would, we've been discussing how initially mankind, humanity, saw animals as food only or a power symbol to be worshipped. And that how through the ages we've developed a relationship with animals, including domesticating them, and how our added attitudes toward animals are now changing. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit more about what you see being the positive way that this relationship is shifting? Um, I think we're getting more and more in touch um, with um, with all animals. Uh, although it's it's not always a great thing. The the the, the growth in um, exotic animals being kept as pets, for instance, shows that man is starting to appreciate the beauty of more than just cats and dogs. Um, you know, the, there are a lot of contentious issues surrounding um, some of the animals that we choose to keep as pets. Um, but that aside. Um, I think that um, we, we are gaining a greater appreciation, even for bugs. Um, you know, lots, lots, and lots, and lots of people now appreciate bugs a lot more than they used to. Bugs? Um, Did you say bugs like insects? Yep, bugs. Oh, okay. um, uh, do you have any you know, bug therapy? Yeah, we do. We use millipedes, um, which are great sensory therapy because feeling them walking on you with. It's absolutely amazing, um, and they are great for, um, for 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 especially severely disabled people. Um, I've seen people who who are totally disabled with just expression in their eyes. I've seen expression in their eyes change when they've had a millipede on their forearm, for instance, and they get that sensory uh, crawling across their skin. Um, the fascination we've got some atlas beetles, giant atlas beetles, which are huge three horned things, and. Uh, again, they, they they are fantastic therapy. People just just hold them and look at them and and are absolutely amazed by them. Um, so yeah, I mean, how even big? Bugs, how, how big is millipede? Um, the millipede we've got at the moment is about six inches long. I I'm so, um, so I cannot imagine having a millipede. Um, walking on me i started to say crawling so that gives you an idea of how i feel about multi-legged <laughs> um non-human beings and uh critters they um i don't want to say they frighten me i certainly respect them but a lot of people as you're well aware of have an aversion to insects so i'm pretty amazed uh and i'll bet our audience is pretty amazed that a millipede would uh, be a therapeutic animal uh, it, it, it's it's an amazing amazing thing to see when when you see somebody's face. It's actually a friend of mine who uh, who runs a company called Rent a Beast who suggested uh, that we use millipedes for um, uh, for therapy, and it does work absolutely fantastically. So uh, yeah, I'm really grateful for that one. Well, that's that's amazing. So on that little note, we're going to let our audience think about having a millipede for a companion, and we're going to head into another break, and we'll be back with Dale Priest Kelly and Critters All Sorts, Wild Therapy and the Relationship and the Bonds Between Humans and Non-Human Animals. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. 
predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up, our forests don't grow, our communities go hungry, our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. We're with Dale Priest Kelly with Critterish All Sorts. You can uh, look him up on the website at www.critterishallsorts, all one word, dot co.uk. Dale and I were recently conversing, um, and he had mentioned to me, and this is something that Wild Eyes and I think every human community that lives with wildlife has eventually is going to have a day. Dale, you were telling me about um, a cull of badgers happening in England and uh, the uproar it's caused, which relates very closely to a lot of the work that I do, whether it's an elephant, a coyote, a wolf, or um, a fox. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting thing that we, um, in general, uh, have this feeling that we love the wild that we love knowing that there's wildlife out there. But when it starts to interfere or intervene or react or impact upon what we consider human safety, that uh, it, it creates, um, it not only brings awareness, but creates uh, quite a situation. Tell us a little bit about this badger call. 
In the UK, it seems that badgers are being uh, are being held responsible for um, a spread of bovine TB. Um, there's absolutely no proof whatsoever that, that this is actually the case, um, or, or there doesn't seem to be. And uh, they've decided that um, badger badgers must be shot um, to to try and curb the spread of bovine TB. Um, and there are people in uh, currently there are two uh, test. Um, uh, calls going on, one in Gloucestershire and one down um, down on the south coast somewhere and basically what they're doing is they're going in and they're shooting um, sets of badgers and they've got government marksmen in there to, to, to shoot them uh, and there are, there are thousands of people creating protests trying to find out where these, these, these things are going on. I mean in the UK the only badgers you ever see are, are unfortunately roadkill badgers, you don't see them in the wild they're very secretive animals and they're very beautiful animals um, and if you don't see them in the wild we're going to see even less with them with them culling them and in Wales which is literally attached to England um, the, the, the cattle and, and the badgers are being um, inoculated um, well this uh, is so an this is an issue that's really close to my heart because we're dealing with the same thing in several countries in Africa and right here since I'm in Wyoming uh, and have just come from Jackson Hole and Yellowstone a month ago where we have buffalo and the rancher issues of uh, bovine TV, TB excuse me, being transferred from buffalo into cattle. It brings up an interesting question, one that I deal with a lot and that now that you've brought this up is that... Um, you know, our government is in the UK, uh, from what I understand what you're saying, and, and here in the US, our wildlife services, that we are, um, as a, the public, paying to, with our, our, our dollars and our tax dollars to exterminate uh, much needed critical uh, ecosystem niche fillers. Badgers are important, just like all the other so-called vermin uh, keystone and uh, indi indicator species are critical for, for their niche in, in an ecosystem. So I'm really glad to hear that this is being highlighted in the UK. I'm really sorry to hear that badgers are being killed willy-nilly and hopefully the, the protesters and this movement will... Um, bring highlight is there a website or uh some information that you could give us where people who are interested and want to take action about this can uh access as a resource uh as far as i'm aware there is a petition um on epetitions direct uh, it's epetitions.direct.gov.uk forward slash petitions forward slash 38257 for stop the badger call um, it's a bit of a, a bit of a long uh, winded website but um, the other place you could go is to the badger trust homepage who will be able to um, direct you to that which is uh, www.badger.org.uk or our listeners in the UK and around the world who are interested in this issue and bringing uh, awareness that we need our badgers can contact Dale and find out more information about Dale's work and Dale can certainly lead you to more information. And on that Absolutely. note, um, I notice on your webpage, it's, it has grown quite substantially since we last uh, talked with each other on our, our last episode and that Critters also sorts out 
outreach programs have grown quite a bit also. I've been keeping up on your Facebook page, um, which I would love for people to um, go in, look at, name it, um, and like it and share it, and go into your website. Once again, it's www.critterallsorts.co.uk and um, follow along with the work that Dale's doing. So you had mentioned uh, that you're involved in a new initiative. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I launched Critter Assisted Therapy, itch, um, which, which has got its own website now, which is www.critter-assisted-therapy.co.uk. Um, and that's the new website. And Critter Assisted Therapy is all about providing animal assisted therapy and not just standard animal assisted therapy with dogs and cats uh, and such like, but Critter Assisted Therapy is about you choosing your animal, you identifying with a specific animal that, that suits your needs rather than me saying this is the animal, it's the only animal we've got, so you'll have to use this animal. Oh. Um, you get to choose from uh, 50 or so animals that are all there uh, for, for, for therapy um, and um, we, we're going to, we're going to uh, we've got an academic who's studying the statistical um, impact of what we're doing um, we we are hoping to start emotional well-being workshops with animals and we are hoping to start support groups for those with different types of mental illness um, with animals um, as well as the one-to-one and the group sessions that we currently, currently do uh, both privately and in hospitals. And you've also, um, you, you also mentioned to me a, a not-for-profit organization that you're involved with, um, founded by Dr. Daniel Allen called Pet Nation, whose tagline yeah. is putting pets first. This is in the UK, correct? And can you tell us a little bit about it? That's correct. Um, what Dr. Daniel did was he, he started the search for his perfect pet, uh, which he was documenting in order to write a book um, uh, about this uh, and about the, the, the obsession that we have with animals in the UK and with pets in the UK. Um, it's actually turned into an animal welfare organization, um, which is all about uh, educating the public in the animal's needs and putting the animal first. So that rather than looking at the aspect of as humans, this is what we do with pets. This is what we need to do with pets. We we are saying this is the pet. This is what you, this is what your pet needs from you. This is what they require from you. So we're educating the public in terms of of um, the welfare of their animals and how to make their their animal a happy animal. Because obviously, a happy animal makes such a great pet. Um, this is really important information, so I'd like all our listeners to really take note. There is, we are currently inside, uh, participating in and witnessing a paradigm shift. A paradigm is a general consensus that we all act upon without necessarily thinking about it. A shift in a paradigm is when you are able to look outside the box of that paradigm and see another way of being. And when more and more people start accessing and participating in the shift of the paradigm, it's when culture and policy and governments change. So the paradigm shift we're currently in and that we've been discussing today is that animals are just as much a part of our relationship to earth and our relationship to the natural world and not just about natural history and having come from a film festival with stunning 
uh, natural history and wildlife films. But this paradigm shift is about reconnecting what we think of as the beauty and aesthetics of natural history to something that is more of a deeply connected relationship between humans and non-humans. So it's very exciting to see, to, to know, Dale, that you're involved with this. And um, uh, it, it is, is, is Dr. Allen's book published? Is it available? Um, Dr. Dan's book comes out next year. I think it's um, spring of next year. Well, um, let's keep us posted on that because I, I think it will add to a, a, a very important and necessary volume of work that is growing, such as I mentioned before, Mark Beckoff's work. He's an ethologist, um, which is about uh, understanding animal behavior from the animal's perspective. You had said earlier that often we, um, we relate to animals from the human point of view, and I've talked about this previously on our episodes. What Dale is doing and what we're trying to help our listeners understand is that animals exist complete and whole outside of us, not as something other, but they have complete and whole and fulfilling emotional lives. That if we're going to take them on as a companion and be a part of our life, then we definitely have to see to their needs, not just how they fulfill our needs. Can you tell us any more um, or give us any more advice or some thoughts about how we can go about doing that, Dale? Uh, it, it's about um, knowing your animal. You have to learn um, about the characteristics of your animal, about their personality. Every animal's got its own personality, whether it's a millipede, a bug, uh, a snake, a, a skunk, whatever. They all have their own personalities, and, and we, we need to respect that. And we, we need to, um, if, if we're truly attached to our animals in an emotional way, then we will you know, we will feel what their needs are. You can, you can see by looking in animals' eyes what their needs are. I mean, Beans fell in the canal. We were walking, walking down the canal the other day and, and Beans actually he fell in. He was chasing a duck and he didn't stop in time. He fell in. But it, the, the, place, it, the place where he was, it was too high for him to get out and, and I could see the panic in his eyes. Um, and I had to literally reach in there and pull him out. Um, it, it's all about being there for them and, and, and knowing, um, knowing what they're looking for from us. So you, you need to be you need to be there as much for that for that animal as you are for your children. And you need uh, you need to pay attention. Absolutely, we, we need to step outside of the chaos of our own internal brain and thought workings. That when we're upset or you know we're deciding to take the dog or for a walk because we need a breath of fresh air, that's the time to let your own personality and issues go and pay attention to your animal he is he or she or it is your and let's help fulfill its needs you can learn more about uh, dale's work at critterishallsorts.co.uk get in touch with him are in the midlands or in uh, the uk and are listening to this show and are interested in, in learning more about, about pet assisted therapy therapy or animal assisted therapy or even how to have a better relationship with your pet i would say the more the animal guy dale priest kelly would be the man to contact um so we're about out of time today is there anything else dale that uh, you feel is really important that you would like our listeners to take away 
I, I just like to see everybody spreading the word about um, about animals across social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, Google Plus, all all of those places. Get the word out there that, that animals animals are there for us to, to to be respected, and they're there to make the earth a complete place. They're not there for us to destroy it and do with what we want to do. So I think we'd both suggest pick up some books. Learn about animal behavior, learn about animal morality, emotions, and the lives of animals. There is an abundance of material on the web and in print uh, to help you have a better relationship with your animal. Another one uh, that comes to mind is Temple Grandin and her book, uh, Animals Make Us Human. It's a really important piece of work written by a, a woman who's an autistic. So I think it would apply a lot to what Dale is doing and how she found her therapy through um, studying and living and having uh, relationships and working for cattle, which is a whole other discussion in terms of where our world is going and uh, the economy based on cattle. So uh, I think the end of what we can take away today is that the paradigm is shifting. Everyone has a voice in this. So share, uh, sign petitions, get involved. Your voice counts. Every one of our listeners, you count. So we all can take part in bringing about a better relationship and improving the bond between humans and non-human earthlings. We're all a part of the same system. Uh, we're all a part of the the resource chain, um, the relationship, the emotional bond that keeps our planet tied together. So uh, that's it for today. We're out of time. Thank you, Dale, and we'll be Thank back you. next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 